Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends, and welcome to another week of the podcast. We're in such a fun series this season talking to mom entrepreneurs who are solving for some of the biggest issues around feeding kids and bringing to market some of the most innovative solutions to make life easier for parents. So one of the issues that has become such a big part of life today as a parent are food allergies, right? When we were kids, no one talked about them. We all ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches probably every day with no problem. But today, 5.6 million kids in the U.S. have food allergies, and for their families, they can be really hard to manage. When my older daughter, who's now 11, was 13 months old, I thought that I'd give her some hummus, and if she liked it, I'd make it for her. Yet within a half hour or so, she broke out in hives all over her body. It was a hot day, so we thought maybe that was it. But when I called the doctor, we quickly found out that she was having an allergic reaction. Everything was thankfully okay that day, but after we had her tested and found out that she was not only allergic to sesame, but also to tree nuts, everything changed for our family. Virtually overnight, we were thrust into this whole new world and everything that comes along with it, tests and care plans, Benadryl, epinephrine, asking questions, reading labels, and plenty of conversations with family members, teachers, camp counselors, and caretakers. She'd had a handful of accidental exposures over the years, and after a dose of Benadryl, everything was okay. But in 2020, she went into anaphylaxis. I had given her two new foods that I assumed were safe because the label didn't state otherwise. And she broke out in hives, and she was clearing her throat, and I knew something wasn't right. And then she had stomach pain, and I knew that that was a sign of anaphylaxis. And so I administered the AviQ in her leg, and within minutes, the ENTs were in our house. She went to the hospital for observation, and everything was fine. But if your kid has ever gone into anaphylaxis, it is scary, and it can be traumatic for your kid and for the whole family. And after something like that, you're even more vigilant about what you feed your kids. Mino Lele has a similar story. When her son was young, he was diagnosed with multiple food allergies, and she was always so nervous about accidental exposures. But by the time her second child was born, a lot had changed. There was groundbreaking new research about how to prevent food allergies, and it changed everything for parents feeding their kids. Mino took that research and developed Lil Mixins, which are pure protein supplements that make early introduction of allergens easy. If you give babies a certain amount of every protein in infancy in a very particular window, which is when they start eating solid foods through when they become a year old, then you can actually train their body to tolerate these foods. And, and that's because our immune systems are developing in that window. Mino and I talk about a baby's microbiome and what it has to do with food allergies and what the future holds for a cure. She also describes an amazing aha moment when she knew that without a doubt, she had a solution that parents needed and pediatricians would recommend. And she also talks about her journey to launch and grow her company. There is a ton of information in this episode, whether you have a baby or a big kid. And I know you're going to love this interview with Meenal Lele. Well, Meenal, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, let's talk about your story. What were you doing before you founded Little Mixins? Well, before I started Little Mixins, I, you know, I'd been working in the medical device space. Um, I actually had just uh, sold off a company uh, with the team, not by myself, um, in orthopedics. And right before my son developed his allergies, which I know we'll get into, I started a second you know, medical device company in the vascular medicine space. And I was there for a few years. Um, so most of, my, most of my career at that point had been running clinical studies and um, getting new products into, the, uh, into hospital use and surgical use. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about your journey to found your company. But, you know, we hear a lot about the gut microbiome in recent years and, and particularly for adults, but less so in infants and, and toddlers. And so why is it something that parents really need to know and be paying attention to? I think the right way to start it is to say our microbiomes do a lot more than we thought they did. And I think for the, or I know this to be true, for the longest time, we, we knew that there were microbes, uh, and that includes bacteria, viruses, fungi that are living on our skin, pretty much living everywhere, right? They're inside of our gut, they're in our teeth, they're everywhere. You can't, and you can't be without them because um, they come from the air, they come from food, they come from everything. So it's not like you could uh, clean yourself, wash yourself really well, even with like bleach and then be rid of them. But we thought that they were just there. Um, at best, and at worst, we're pathogenic. And it turns out, though, that they're really symbiotic, meaning that a lot of the functions that we used to think humans did, even things as basic as digestion, pulling nutrients out of food, um, controlling our immune system, these are actually things to a large extent that the microbes do. And so which microbes you have on you really matters, right? If it's if you said for you told me, for example, that animals feed you, it would probably be pretty important to know which animals. Is it cats or lions? Because one of those might be feeding you and one of those might eat you. So we had uh, Dr. Tracy Shafazada on the podcast in a previous season in a previous season, and I can link to that in the show notes, but she talked about uh, infant probiotics and and why, you know, basically babies are born where their gut microbiomes are disrupted. And so what do you think about that? I think that they're completely right. I think that, you know, their product focuses specifically on one strain of uh, B. infantis. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, they're, they're totally right. And, and I think what's important to understand there, again, is it's very normal, right? It's, it's normal for, your, for an infant gut to get colonized first in the birthing process itself and then from nursing, from the skin of the mother, from the breast milk itself, and then all the food a baby eats. But of course, their gut is also being colonized by things in the air and so on. And there's been a massive shift in the mix and quantity and I don't want to say quality exactly because that's very subjective, but let's call it the mix of bacteria and viruses, fungus, fungi that used to be normal in an infant gut and are currently normal in an infant gut. And we have seen clear differences. Like the clinical data is overwhelming, conclusive that that change in infant gut has caused a lot of the disease that 
infant's experience or really that develop in infancy, but then you might experience for your entire entire life. And these are not just gut diseases. These could be, you know, skin, immune, um, GI, mental disorders. Um, that company is actually doing some really interesting work. And there are, I can't remember if it's actually one of their studies or not, but there was an interesting paper that showed that the infant gut in NICU babies could lead to brain damage or not. Wow. Fascinating. And, and so why do you think that our, our babies being born today, their gut microbiome is, is completely disrupted? Is it because of toxins? Is it because of our diet? Is it because of a host of different issues? Yeah, I think that today all we know is that we can say somewhat conclusively is must be a host of different issues. Um, in the book, I talk about this paper, and it's one of my favorites um, that that actually looked at, and, and maybe some of your previous guests have talked about this, but there was a paper where they looked at the infant gut development and the mix of bacteria. And so not just which kinds of bacteria, but what proportion was each bacteria in. And they tried to control for a lot of things, but they looked at a group of babies in Russia and Finland and Estonia because they're genetically very similar. And in culturally, actually, the, a lot of the practices are very similar. And yet the Russian baby guts were so different than the Finnish and the Estonian ones. And um, the and, and it wasn't just the breastfeeding, right? Because the Finnish mothers were actually breastfeeding more often and for a longer time than the Russian mothers in this study. And yet the Russian baby's guts were much healthier in the sense that they were leading to fewer immune diseases. And one of like the key differences I remember from that paper was the infant guts in Russia had a much higher uh, um, um, incidence rate, I guess, of uh, E. coli bacteria. So not, not, you know, we usually, again, we think of E. coli as, oh no, that's on spinach, like it's going to kill people, recalls, but it's a normal gut. It's a normal microbe in our bodies. And so this E. coli wasn't causing illness in these children in Russia. In fact, it was helping control their immune systems and not tip their immune systems towards allergy. Um, so the Finnish kids ended up with a really high rate of uh, type 1 diabetes that was not happening in Russia. It's so interesting. Yeah. And so you mentioned allergies and, you know, my kids are 11 and nine. And when my 11 year old was a baby, the thinking around introducing allergens early was completely different than it is today. And so what has changed? What do new moms need to know about introducing allergens to their babies? So the, the, you know, infant food allergies or food allergy rates were going up for a long time. And kind of logically, the doctor said, well, if the baby doesn't eat these foods, they kind of can't have an allergic reaction, right? So without doing any real clinical studies in the early 2000s, they said, nobody eat these foods, avoid them until age three. And, and I'm talking about nuts, eggs, uh, wheat, some of these other things. And rates of allergies actually just kept going up. And so then they finally did some clinical studies. And the clinical studies were based on findings. Like, they, again, they looked at different populations and they saw that there were no peanut allergies or there were very few peanut allergies in Israel versus um, the UK. And so they, you know, they went and actually did uh, studies trying to understand, like, kind of personal diaries. Like, what are these parents doing differently? Um, and they saw that it was a feeding practice, that babies in Israel were being fed peanuts uh, in infancy. And because no one had told them not to. And so then they actually did a bunch of clinical studies and they proved that the inverse is true. If you give babies the, a certain amount of every protein in infancy in a very particular window, which is 
when they start eating solid foods um, through when they become a year old, then you can actually train their body to tolerate these foods. And, and that's because our immune systems are developing in that window, right? And I always explain it to people thinking of it as the same way as brain development, that your, your brain, a human brain as it develops is expecting certain kinds of input at different stages. And you can cause, you know, you can really help or disrupt it if you, like, if you talk to a baby or don't talk to a baby, mm -hmm. right? And when their brain is expecting to learn language, um, you can either really promote language learning or really disrupt it. And so it's sort of the same idea that if you feed babies these foods exactly in this window, and that means, you know, two grams of the protein being given about once every week for each protein, though, then their bodies learn to tolerate those foods and then they never develop the allergy. And that's that's something I want to be very clear about is that you're doing this with a baby that doesn't have an allergy. So there's never a reaction because we just prevent the allergy from every ever developing allergies are not there when you're born. So what we're trying to do is kind of, you know, teach a baby to say, I always use this analogy a lot too. It's like teach a baby to go safely down the stairs before they fall. Yeah. And as I was doing research on you, I read that the protein in peanuts can trigger food allergies. I did not know that. Can you talk through that and what the research shows about that? So when it comes to, um, when it comes to allergies, right. That this requires one to understand what does it even mean to have an allergy, and so since we're coming out of this whole COVID era, everybody, I'm guessing all of your listeners have heard of the idea of antibodies, and you have an antibody, an antibody to each particular virus, and foods are kind of the same. So when you have an allergy, what you have is an IgE antibody that is flagging a certain food, but it's not flagging just any part of the food. It specifically tags the protein in the food. And so it's the protein that you have the allergy to. So interestingly, like my kid has a peanut allergy, but if he eats, he can safely eat um, peanut oil if it's stripped of the protein. Now, it doesn't mean we always do it because we can't guarantee that it's been stripped of the protein. But if there's no protein in that peanut oil, he can just, that's fine, right? And so that's almost all of the food allergies are to the proteins in the food. Um, and it, if you're curious, the thought process there is that the structure um so um our allergies are actually part of our immune system so that part of our immune system is de designed to identify parasites and if you think about a parasite as being like you know a creature uh the most distinctive thing about a creature is kind of the the muscle proteins and the thinking is that the protein structures in certain proteins like peanut protein or walnut protein are structurally very similar to a lot of parasites. And that's why our bodies are more, more likely to develop an allergy to a peanut or a nut than say um, corn. And, and you can have an allergy to corn, right? And you can have an allergy to tomato, but it's less likely than some of those other allergies. Wow. I feel like um, I, have a, I have a daughter who has food allergies. And so I feel like this just isn't being talked about in the food allergy community. Yeah, it's, it's, that's true. It isn't being talked about and there's a balance, right? Because I think it's hard. First of all, pediatricians, your, your, most of your first line doctors, they don't spend a lot of time learning allergy, right? Allergy wasn't a big field of medicine until really recently because it wasn't a problem until recently, right? So we don't have that many trained allergists and immunologists in the country because we just didn't have to deal with it. 
And so a lot of doctors don't necessarily know all of this information and that's not their fault exactly. They were just never trained in it. Um, but then also all of these nuances, I think people, doctors are always worried that if they give you too much nuance, you'll just make mistakes and you'll misinterpret it. So, right. They just, they tend to, to work in very like clean blanket guidelines, even if those are not, you know, those can be overkill for a lot of people. Yeah. That's true. And so when it comes to food allergies and related conditions like eczema and other immune diseases, can we prevent them? Yeah. So again, so with early allergen introduction, it's very effective at preventing food allergies. So an interesting thing is if you look at the data from, there's been, you know, multiple clinical trials done, randomized controlled trials with thousands of babies across them. And one of the most interesting findings is if babies eat some peanut in infancy, again, between six months and 12 months old, they get around a 60% prevention against peanut allergy. If the parents are rigorous about, you know, two grams of the peanut every single week, that kind of thing, you get a 97% protection against peanut allergy. Wow, amazing. So that adherence is actually really critical and a huge part of it. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's it's shockingly effective, right? Like if you... Again, if you think about our COVID vaccines, right, those are some of the ones we were most excited about for 80% protective. And you can, and that's the same with egg allergy. Like if you, if you use well-cooked egg for that six month period, you get an 80% prevention against egg allergy, right? So um, in that sense, they're as effect, this practice is as effective as a vaccine. And so is it, is it effective for all allergens? The best clinical data is on peanut and egg, I will say. There's been only one study and one ongoing right now looking at all of the other foods. As you might imagine, it's quite expensive to run every single clinical study, right? So they haven't, we haven't done like a walnut-only study and an almond-only study and things like that. But there are a couple studies looking at what if we do all the foods. There's also a really nice phenomenon where as a baby eats a more and more diverse diet, they actually, that, that practice itself is protective against food allergy. So um, I think that, you know, there's no reason that wouldn't be true of everything. So now I want to be, so to, to now we've been talking about food allergy. And so you asked a separate question, which was, can you prevent eczema? Can you prevent other things? And with eczema in particular, the only proven strategy to prevent eczema is the use of this particular bacteria called l -rhamnosis. And if you, if a mother in the last trimester of her pregnancy takes L-Ramnosis and then ideally both she and baby take L-Ramnosis when breastfeeding or for the at least six months postpartum, um, that can prevent 40 to 50% of eczema. And that is the only proven strategy we have today to prevent eczema. As far as asthma goes, I don't think that there's any proven ways to prevent asthma, but we do know a lot of things that increase our risk factors for asthma, like air pollution and things like that. So, you know, if you had your choice, definitely don't raise your baby on I-95, but you generally don't get a choice in that and how much air pollution you live with. Right. Yeah. And so in terms of the food allergies, you mentioned that in certain circumstances, babies shouldn't be introduced to them early. So obviously they need to parents need to be talking to their doctors first, right? Because if they have a history of food allergies, the, the baby could have an allergic reaction. Actually, so interestingly, that's not really true. Okay. Um, there's not really a familial history thing here. 
the, the single biggest risk factor for developing food allergies is a baby with eczema. So I will, I will grant that if a baby has severe eczema already, and they, that means, you know, like you can't, you're having trouble controlling the eczema, even with steroids and things like that uh, in the first, you know, four months of that baby's life, that is a baby that definitely you, you probably want to talk to your doctor before you're introducing foods um, or, or try and do it in the, you know, with, with sort of some safety pro- protocols around you. But with everybody else, basically, you just start feeding them the foods. Uh, and actually, that's what they, all the societies recommend is, is that if you start early enough, again, because it's, again, it's important to understand they aren't born with the allergy. It develops, but it can only develop in a certain developmental window, right? Like, you know, going, going back to my analogy, you don't have to worry about your baby falling down the stairs at two months old because they can't crawl yet, right? right. And it's only after a certain developmental milestone that that can happen. So typically, allergies don't develop until after a baby starts eating solid foods. And so, so in that six month to 12 month time frame. so if you're starting right at that line or right before then, then you're, you're getting in there and preventing them before they start. And so this has been proven to work really with all of, I want to say it's been very proven effectively uh, with peanut and egg. Everyone believes this is true of all of the nuts, fish, all of your common, your top nine common allergens. Um, and basically any other food is like, if you can get it in their diet early, teach their body that this is a totally normal food, they should be okay. And for people who have older kids who already have food allergies, can anything be done to cure it? Yeah, that's a million dollar question, right? Um, actually, I was at a dinner the other day where they were estimating that they, they think this problem can get solved in, in the next 20 years with a solid, you know, the, low, the lowest estimate was 50 million of investment. And the high end, a lot of doctors said would take a billion dollars of investment. But um, there's a lot of people working on how to treat food allergy. Today we have, there is one FDA approved therapy um, for oral immunotherapy using peanut. A lot of doctors will also do what's called off-label oral immunotherapy. And that's a practice of slowly exposing the body to increasing amounts of a food until the body, body tolerates it. And that has been proven to desensitize and make you bite, bite tolerant. Meaning if you accidentally get uh, a you know, bite into a peanut butter sandwich and you taste it, you can spit it out and not have a reaction but it doesn't make you tolerant of it. And so people are working on those therapies. And yet, even with those therapies, we haven't really proven that we can get sustained tolerance, meaning that at some point your body is just completely reverted. Um, Your antibodies have really long memory. And so what's, I will say that there's a lot of people working on really, really awesome stuff here. Um, Some of the things I'm most excited about are kind of microbial therapies where they're actually trying to change people's gut gut makeup and and by doing so get the body to not um not trigger an allergic reaction because again like those those gut microbes can help control your immune system and tell it to calm down and so that that's a really exciting line there's some people working on different kinds of vaccines different kinds of immunotherapies so i, I think a, i think therapies are coming uh, much better therapies are coming and so we should already be really hopeful about that but today we don't really have a lot of options and and again it's because you have to get your body to forget those antibodies to like stop making them. And then you have to, just like you were doing with prevention, you have to kind of train, you have to increase the number of cells that sort of teach your body to tolerate a food and and manipulating the immune system in that way is, is difficult. Yeah. This is all fascinating. me now. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk all about little mixins and how you came up with this amazing idea and, and how you grew this company. 
If mealtimes are stressful and you just can't get your kids to eat what you make, then you've got to get them in the kitchen. Cooking with my kids has really gone a long way in encouraging them to try new foods and eat their veggies. But most of us aren't chefs, and that's why I love the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. This course was created by a mom of four and a former elementary school teacher, and it's for kids ages two to teen. You'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping list, and kid-friendly recipes. The course also has a ton of substitutions, so if your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, they've got you covered. My daughters and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. All you have to do to sign up is go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. Most of the time, I don't even know why I cook meals because all my kids want are snacks. But finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. And that's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids are all about the Lara bars and the Go Raw cinnamon snacking seeds. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products like Truce, which is one of my favorite cleaners. And they also have clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Nina. So let's talk about Little Mixins. Why did you start the company? How did you come up with this idea? How did it all come to be about? So I started the company um, when my younger son was born because my older son had all these food allergies now, right? He was a toddler and we were trying to figure out, but we, we now knew um, that prevention could, could work. And so we wanted to prevent them in our younger son. And, um, but I was traveling several days a week. And so I needed a way to, you know, make this easy basically, because it's just, it's not as easy as it sounds. Um, you know, the, the whole reason the baby food aisle exists is because parents find it difficult to prepare separate meals for an infant. Right. Yeah. And so then now you have to layer on like all these allergens and do it in a specific protocol and whatever else. Right. Just, just not easy. And so, um, so yeah, so I was like, well, what we need to do is basically make this just as convenient and shelf stable and easy as possible. And so we went and, um, you know, I have a chemical engineering and food science, dangerous amount of food science information. And I, uh, yeah, we just figured out basically how to take all these proteins and make them into you know, kind of a standardized, easily dosable format. And then we could give them to parents in a way that you could buy a bunch at a time and sort of use it over time um, in a system. And that that would kind of solve a lot of the issues around just having to think about it all the time, right? Like you, how many grams of 
protein or in this scoop of peanut butter, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. is my, is my tablespoon a standard size tablespoon? Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I think the other big issue is like, what's safe for a baby to eat? They're, they're just changing so rapidly. Right. And you look at this very tiny baby and they're selling you, you know, you can feed it, you know, walnut butter or something like first to go find walnut butter. And then you're like, I don't know, is this too thick? Is it too thin? Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> and so you just get confused. So we just wanted to take all that thinking and work out. So, Mina, what is Little Mexens? So we, we have, um, we sell all, all these proteins that a parent needs to feed their baby. Nuts, eggs, soy, sesame. And they're all in you know, infant safe powders, meaning that infant safe, meaning that they're, you know, the baby can't choke on them. They're always proportioned to the right amount to give you two grams of protein in a serving. And it's done in a format that just makes it very easy to add into any baby food or anything the baby's eating, basically. And so did you do market research to determine that parents would actually buy a product like this? I did. I will say that I actually did more market research with pediatricians. And um, so I've always approached this from the thought process that food allergies are a medical condition. And no parent is going to take on more burden unless they have a strong reason to do so. And that strong reason is going to come from their trusted pediatrician's advice. And so the first, the market research I did was actually asking pediatricians, hey, this clinical data is out there. You're a doctor, you know it. It was a, it was a huge upending in their system. And in fact, it was such a big deal when they changed the peanut guidelines that I believe it was 2018, that year, every pediatrician to kind of be recertified, you know, keep their license as a pediatrician, had to read that clinical study and like answer questions about it. So the AAP took this seriously, right? And And yet no pediatrician was talking to their patients about it. And I said, so what's the deal with this? Like, do you not believe the science? And they said, no, we we get it. We just don't know how parents are going to do this. And yeah, and they said, you know, because if somebody comes into my office, I get 10 minutes with them at this four-month visit. I got to do vaccines. I got to talk about a lot of other things too. And yes, food allergies are a problem, but you know, it's one more thing. So how am I going to explain all this stuff to them? And then, you know, they're going to have to come back. They're going to call me. And it's just not going to work, you know? And I said, well, what if, and so I showed them, you know, kind of the prototype. And I said, what if it was like this? And they were like, if you had that, I would talk about it. And, you know, so that was kind of the big aha moment. That's awesome. So let's talk about your journey to launching the company and growing it. What were some of the steps that you took to, to get it off the ground? The first step when you're creating the company, right, is, as you said, you asked a question about doing market research, right? Figure out what is it that, what is the actual problem you're trying to solve? Because you get very different solutions depending on what you're trying to solve for. And um, so that was step one. And then step two was actually going and figuring out how would we scale this, right? Because I could figure out how to make all this stuff in very small batches, but it, that's not sustainable. You can't make it in my house. Um, so so what's, how do we scale this and finding partners? And that was a really interesting challenge because in our food system today, so many people have food allergies that I will say almost every facility you speak to has um, like a ban on peanuts in that facility, right? They, they want to be able to say this is a peanut-free facility and this is a peanut-free product. And so finding places um, where you can make all this stuff is actually really difficult. So that was a big part of the business was just kind of figuring out our supplies. Like we, we, we actually have to buy, you know, we sell seven different proteins and they, they actually each come from an exclusive facility that only deals with that protein. 
Great, great. And so as a, just as a general business owner, what were some challenges that you encountered, but also that turned into big learning lessons? Um, But in terms of challenges, I think that, you know, in, in our business, I think the biggest challenge is a lot of medicine is like this, where the end user is not always your customer, right? You, you, you know, like the parent is the one who's buying the product, but the customer might be their physician. And so you have different messages for these different people. And I, I will say, actually, one of the biggest challenges that we've had as business was that there was so much education to do. And uh, one of the things I hadn't anticipated really is the fact that so many people believe that food allergies are genetic. And this is not their fault, actually. A lot of doctors used to say this, yeah. that, you know, oh, it's just genetic. And which, again, it just makes no sense, right? So you're trying to tell me that, like, at X-Men speed, you know, we evolved in some way that just in the last 30 years, everyone has these conditions, but somehow it's genetic, right? Mm-hmm. And if you, if you think about that for just, like, a 30 seconds, you realize it doesn't make any sense. Um, but, but, yeah, so, that, and it, cause, um, and I also, I'm, I'm the kind of person that if you give me data and I, I will you know, I put my fears aside because the data says what the data says. Right. But the average parent was actually just terrified of the idea that their baby would have an allergic reaction once they started early allergen introduction. And, um, this was a really hard fear to overcome. And so people would just avoid it. They'd be like, Oh, I just, I don't know. I'm just going to not do this and see what happens, you know? And it took us a long time to kind of convince parents that actually at four months old, a baby isn't capable of a severe allergic reaction. It's never happened before. So the longer you wait, the higher the odds that that allergic reaction is going to be very severe and it's going to be not in your control and it's going to be a time when you're not there. So you're best off actually starting when the baby's four to five months old and it's in your home and they're very young. (laughs) And what advice do you have for other parents who may want to start this type of business? I will say that I would never have started this business if um, I hadn't had to previous medical device businesses that we had started and taken basically to, you know, to an exit, meaning to a sale to a larger company. Um, the medical system is very complicated and I would never have done this had I not had that kind of experience under my belt. Um, I think that there's, there's a lot of businesses to start, but you just really need to understand the, um, the system that the industry and the system that you're, that you're working with. Right. So some products are they're deceptively like this is deceptively a consumer product and it's not really a consumer product because it's serving a medical purpose. And so you need to understand the medical issues there. It's not just a consumer issue. And so if you're starting a business, you know, I think the biggest thing about that people don't appreciate starting a business is just know that domain really, really well. And so what's the future for the company? Do you plan to roll out new products, new solutions? Yeah, we. you know, we, we recently launched a line of uh, probiotics that were around eczema prevention. As I mentioned, that's one of the, it's the only proven way to reduce the risk of eczema. And so we have that line of probiotics. Um, we aren't really launching a lot of other stuff uh, probably this year. I think um, th- there's a lot of work we're doing kind of in the background that we're not quite ready to talk about publicly yet. But um, yeah, I mean, we do have some big designs on the company because at the the goal when we started was to end food allergy, right? To to make make it so that as zero kids 
the goal is to drive to zero kids to develop these allergies. And so we will keep doing what we need to do to get there. Great. And so you have a new book coming out in September, The Baby and the Biome. What is it about? What can readers expect? Yeah, The Baby and the Biome, I'm actually, I'm really excited about this book. Um, and it's really about the cause of this rise in allergy and immune disease. And that's the number one question everyone has, right? When you, whenever you start talking about anything around food allergies or eczema, everyone's immediately like, why does everyone have all these allergies? And it turns out that we actually do know why. And we know it's not just about early allergen introduction, right? So you asked me the question, what do we want to do? And in that sense, the book is part of it because it's not just early allergen introduction that's going to make food allergy go away. We need to understand how to protect babies in, this very, in their first thousand days. Their immune system is doing almost all of its development. And that is a very critical period to help help that immune system develop correctly in a way that's not so prone to allergies and so or, or to other diseases too, right? And there's a lot of simple steps parents can do in their daily life that, again, have been proven in clinical studies to a large extent um, that can help their baby never develop. Um, and it's, again, it's not just allergy, but this goes to type 1 diabetes, some of the autoimmune issues, asthma is an allergic disease. A lot of neurological conditions are linked to the same immune conditions. Autism is thought to be an immune disease. Um, a lot of behavioral issues are <clears throat> linked to gut issues. So there's, there's a lot of like your, your child's entire life can be completely set off on a trajectory you don't want because of these choices we make in the first thousand days. And no parent wants to be doing that. Right? So really the book is about what is the science as we understand it around how all these, all these what we call chronic and self-conditions developed. And what, can, what are some of these simple things parents can be doing to, to keep their kid off that path? Great. Well, we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And so where can listeners go to learn more about you and Lilla Mixens? You can always visit us on our website, uh, com, And, um, you know, all of our information about the products and stuff is up there. But our, our products are also available at Target, uh, online and in-store, and, of course, on Amazon. Um, but you can, you know, you can learn more about it at any of those places. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mino. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun chatting with Mino Lele. She's such a wealth of information. Be sure to pre-order a copy of her book, The Baby and the Biome, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.